Hello. Hi. 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 Hello. I'm curious about. I'm curious about. I'm curious about. I'm curious about. I'm curious about building open, authentic, loving relationship. I'm curious about jealousy. I'm curious about polyamory. Does it just mean that you're fucking all the time? How can I tell my parents that my partner is already married? I'm curious about... How do you know when you're too busy to have another relationship? I'm curious about dominant and subordinate relationships. I'm curious about sexual health. How can relationships evolve with people as they grow and change? Did you see those ads with the cactus? Cacti? Really phallic cacti? Um, I don't think so. It's a brand that was entirely male oriented, and then they were all over the subway. Um, they were just giant, like uh, essentially penises uh, that are just yeah, a, just like every, everywhere. Just they're appeared. cacti, but they're penises. Yeah, yeah. Hi, welcome to the Curious Fox Podcast. This podcast is for those who challenge the status quo and love sex and relationships. My name is Effie Blue. And I'm Jacqueline Misla. And on this episode, we're going to be talking to the incredible Stella Harris about masturbation as love and self-care. Stella is a certified intimacy educator and a sex coach who uses a variety of tools to guide and empower her clients. She also teaches everything from pleasure anatomy to communication skills to kink and BDSM. Her amazing first book, Tongue Tied, Untangling Communication in Sex kink and relationships was the basis for her recent workshop for curious fox called from pillow talk to sexting and today stella is here in anticipation for her next workshop for us masturbation as self-love and care hi stella hi thanks for having me again <laughs> i'm excited that you're here for two reasons one uh, may is masturbation month which I just learned. So, <laughs> so good for us for scheduling a masturbation session during masturbation month. But the second, I really have been thinking a lot about self-care and all the ways in which we can take care of ourselves during this time. It is 1 p.m. Eastern. I have just gotten out of bed in order to have this conversation. I've been sleeping for two days. And I think that every once in a while, my body forces myself. They're like, you're not, you're not going to take care of you. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it for you. And I have really been crashing. And I think a piece of that is just, that it's a continual reminders for the work that I do continue in my life to take care of myself. And I, and I have, have gone through a masturbation kind of journey from growing up in a space that was very religious and I had a lot of shame around it to really embracing it and have seen that as a part of my self-care. So I would love to start there if you're comfortable with it. I just want to, when, when people hear about masturbation and self-care and self-love, I just want you to start from that place and define that for us. Tell us, tell us what that means for you. Yeah, well, I think in general, we we do kind of a terrible job at taking care of ourselves. Um, I, I am in a similar, similar place where, you know, I end up crashing every few months because I've been pushing myself too hard. And in fact, before the sort of current lockdown happened, I was teetering on the edge of burnout. I was just doing way too much. And I think it has been, you know, while the circumstances are not what anyone would hope for, um, I think people are having a chance to sort of slow down and think about their priorities a little bit and thinking about, you know, what do you actually need to do to take care of yourself now that it is even more essential than ever. Um, and the touch piece is is so huge. I mean, you are not alone in in growing up with, you know, shame or mixed messages around masturbation. That is one of the main things that comes up with any of the clients who come to see me. People have had very complicated relationships with their bodies, with masturbation. And that is so essential for if you do want to 
have any kind of partnered play or partnered sex, you need to know what you like. You need to learn that on your own so you can talk to other people. But you also just need to have that relationship with your body, even if it's not going to be shared with anybody else. And I think especially right now, while people are, a lot of people are suffering from a lack of touch and a lack of intimacy. And I think it's important to realize how much of that you can provide for yourself. Um, Some of the same effects, you know, some of the happy brain chemicals that we get from snuggling with other people, we can actually generate for ourselves. And our bodies actually don't always differentiate where a touch is coming from. We just don't usually spend a lot of times even, you know, squeezing our own shoulders, stroking our own arms. We just don't think about giving ourselves that kind of loving care. And when it comes to masturbation, I think a lot of people treat it sort of utilitarian. You know, maybe they'll have, you know, a quick orgasm before bed so they can get some sleep, something like that. It's not you know, but they're not romancing themselves. They're not lighting candles first. They're not taking time with it. It's just, you know, almost like brushing their teeth. Mm -hmm. I love that idea of romancing yourself. Love thyself, romance thyself. Mm -hmm. I think it's definitely something to, to think about because we don't think about it in that way. You know, I think it's almost like having, having intimacy with yourself, like having an intimate moment generated by yourself with yourself. Mm-hmm. It's kind of what I'm what I'm getting from that. Like, so romance yourself is what it makes me it makes me think of. Yeah, and just remembering all of those sensual pieces. You know, I've been trying to remind myself. You know, certainly not daily, but maybe weekly if I'm really on top of it. You know, I just did this yesterday, lighting some candles, some incense. You know, before I take a shower. You know, because even that, it doesn't have to be sexual. It can also just be sensual, just remembering to enjoy that experience. Um, Physical warmth can actually do some of the job of emotional warmth for us. So taking a hot bath or hot shower, you know, having a hot beverage that can go a long way towards um, building some of that comfort that our body needs and that helps settle our mind. Um, And doing that in sort of an intentional way where you're like, okay, I'm gonna, you know, I'm setting this candle you know, here on the counter. And that is also setting an intention saying that while this is lit, it is creating a container for a certain kind of experience. Mm. Yeah. Can we talk a little bit about that? I guess maybe the, the journey from shame to creating an experience. I mean, I love that language of, as opposed to seeing it as utilitarian and something like scratching an itch, which I think is probably how I would have described it for a long time to really having an experience. I think for myself and I actually shared in our last podcast episode, it it naturally came up around when I was younger, again, grew up really religious and and actually didn't even know what the word masturbation was until probably high school. I just knew that I had essentially an itch that needed to be scratched. And I remember sharing it with my, sharing that with my mom one day and saying, you know, I have this tingling feeling. I was probably maybe like 10 years old and, you know, it makes me want to, to like, touch it. And I remember she said to me, that's disgusting. And that stuck with me. And I just knew that was wrong. And then certainly being in the, in the church space understood more and more. And so I really, for years through high school and college struggled with not trying to stop myself from doing it. And then inevitably it would happen. And I would just feel such tremendous regret and remorse. And it wasn't until I was married with my ex-husband that when I was in a married space, it felt like, oh, okay, sexuality now, you know, I'm always, I've gotten some permission to be sexual and I was able to explore it more. And, and throughout my journey into 
non-monogamy and it's in my own sexuality, I've been able to, to embrace masturbation as a way of taking care of myself to the point now where I do more set and setting and, you know, like, okay, this is my time now to do this. And I'll tell my partner as opposed to kind of quietly and secretly doing it next to them in bed after they fell asleep because it felt shameful. And so I've gone through this evolution and I still think that there's a ways to go in terms of creating a real experience and so I'm interested in the work that you've done for yourself and with your clients around that journey into creating experience. Yeah. I mean, at first I will say, I don't think there's anything wrong with, you know, the utilitarian style. I, you know, it can't be a multi-hour adventure every day. We just don't have that kind of time. So if it's, you know, utilitarian part of the time, I think that that's fine. Um, but I do think that creating the spirit experience can be valuable. And, you know, I'm definitely guilty of being kind of lazy about this a lot of the time, even for myself. And I have to remember sometimes to take care, better care of myself. When it comes to doing this for myself or sort of building this with clients, I frame it with clients often, you know, depending where they're coming from and what they're open to. But when I have people who are open to a little bit of woo, um, I like to frame it as sort of building a, a personal ritual and starting with sort of each of the elements or each of the senses. So thinking about something like lighting, you know, does, does this feel like something you want to do at night and in the dark or, you know, maybe with a couple of candles or does it feel like something where you want to do it when the sun is streaming through the window and maybe where you can lay an array of sunshine and sort of connect with, you know, nature or the outdoors in that way. Do you want the window open? So you're feeling a breeze you know, or do you want the the curtains shut and like having a cozy space? So just sort of moving through one element at a time, you know, what temperature do I want the room to be? What do I want the lighting to be? Um, do you want to be cuddled up under covers or do you want to be completely exposed to the air? You know, do you want to see yourself or do you want it to be a little more hidden? And thinking about the tools that you're going to use. Um, you know, obviously, as a sex educator, I am completely in favor of, of sex toys, their tools, that's what we have them for. And also, I think it's nice to explore your body with your hands. Sometimes, um, I think it can be nice to be able to, to do a combination. When people are using toys, um, I've worked with clients about treating those like ritual objects. It's especially nice with toys that you know, can be can be washed. So something that you can get wet. Um, so, you know, one of my favorite toys is made of stainless steel so that, you know, you can put that through a lot. So how would you treat that, you know, as a ritual object? Do you store it in a particular way? You know, do you have a nice silk cloth that you wrap it in before it gets put away in the nightstand? You know, what do you do for it when you pull it out? What about when you're going to wash it after use? Like, is that something that you could ritualize? Um, you know, the way that it's being washed? And that's another one when you think about, you know, the elements. Well, water is one of the elements you can play with there. But if you wanted, you could, you know, run it through incense or something like that if you wanted to bring an element of air into it. And then, again, the sensations that you bring into it if you're, you know, wrapping it in something special, putting it away somewhere special. And that can also help set that intention that this is something special, you know, rather than something that gets, you know, tumbled in with a bunch of other stuff in a junk drawer you know, or if it's sort of wrapped up and put away nicely. Yeah, that pr the precious toy that lives in your bedside table. 
Yeah. Yes. Actually mine. So on my, on the, the nightstand next to me, I have the Eva two, which is a, a Dane product mm-hmm. and it comes like almost with its own little like habitat, its own little igloo mm-hmm. and it's plugged in and it's like this light pink color. And at night it'll glow or mm-hmm. it'll kind of like pulsate Aww. glow, almost like play with me. I'm right here. <laughs> like enticing you. It <laughs> is. And it's so, and it's really, it's so yeah. like lovely and just the texture of it is beautiful and the shape of it. And it really does feel like, like that's where it lives and we communicate with each other. Yeah, and like yeah. when I take it out, it's special. Um, it's Me a great too. product. And it, yeah. so it made me really think about that. Exactly what you said. Like, oh, there is ritual around that for me. I hadn't even thought about that. Yeah. And that particular product is something that you kind of like, I like it. It looks nothing like the one, nothing like anything that that I've seen before. It has like a a body and these two arms that come out down the side, mm-hmm. right? That's the one that you're yes. talking about. Yeah, exactly. I'm, I'm kind of I'm showing it out via our Zoom call. It is like a body with like two almost like yeah, extended like, arms, almost like a hug. Exactly. Like, exactly. Like, oh. And it kind of does this thing where it kind of like fits inside you, and then like then yeah, like, it like wraps under your labias, so it's like hugging your vulva. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. And it just vibrates from that very, like, very particular place. And um, and I think there's even ritual in the way that you kind of have to position it because you kind of position it and it's hands free. So you can like yes. put it in place, do its thing, and then you can like feel your body while it's, it's, it's like working. You don't have to hold on to it with one hand, which I like because yeah, yeah, yeah. what Stella was saying, because like a touch is a big part of it. And I think sometimes the part that I struggle with when I masturbate, honestly, first and foremost, I like my hand. Since we're getting into it, I'll share. <laughs> like I, I like my hand, and that's, that's always my favorite. And then if I want something different, I'll go for toys. But if I'm like, if I want to hang out and spend time with myself, almost always with my hands. But the point is that you end up having using one on to masturbate, and then you only have one left to like feel around. With something like that, you can just like use both hands to feel around, which is kind of nice. Yeah, and you can use it with a partner, which is also really cool. And and I think that's also what's interesting to me about talking about masturbation is thinking about mutual masturbation or watching your partner. Or, and that and you know what's interesting to me is it takes some time to get to that place. You can have sex with someone for a long period of time, and still they may not feel comfortable masturbating in front of you or you in front of them. And that I think is so fascinating that there is a still an element of of privacy that relates to self touch that even sometimes there feels uh, some caution or, or shyness around sharing that with a partner. Yeah. I've worked with a lot of clients that aren't, aren't ready to do that with somebody else, you know, cause that's often one of the first things I suggest is, you know, show your partner how you like to be touched, you know, touch yourself in front of them. And a lot of people aren't ready for that. Sometimes mutual masturbation is actually easier because then at least each person is partially distracted versus, you know, completely putting on a show with, you know, someone just staring at you and watching. And the other thing, you know, you'd mentioned a little bit about, you know, hiding under the covers while your partner is sleeping. You know, that's something else. I've, I have had clients, I've even had this asked when I'm speaking in college classes, I've, I've had college students ask if I would consider masturbation cheating, which was such an interesting question, because it would not have occurred to me, because I think, you know, your relationship with yourself is so essential but I do hear this theme sometimes from students or clients as though sexual energy is this finite resource and it is somehow cheating your partner out of that if you you know use it on yourself or waste it on yourself. So there we have this assumption, first, that it's a finite resource, and second, that it's something your partner then owns. 
So whether or not your partner owns it, I think that that is problematic. But also I'm going to say everyone gets to make their own choices about how they regulate their sexuality. But at least the piece about it being a finite resource we know is not true. Um, It's more like a muscle that we can exercise. So the more often we experience arousal, the more often we experience pleasure, the more able we are to do that. So masturbating more is actually more likely to increase our interest in partnered sex or in sexual activity with other people. So there's nothing that is being wasted. We're not going to run out of, of sexual energy if we use it up on ourselves. Sometimes there's a physical element, you know, for somebody with, with a penis, there might be a refractory time. So if somebody masturbates and ejaculates, they might not be ready to go with a partner, you know, in the next hour or two. Um, You know, for some folks, especially later in life, sometimes maybe not even that day, but that can also help us reframe what we mean by sexuality, because that's sort of assuming that either penetration or ejaculation or orgasm are the only kinds of sexual adventures with other people that matter. Um, So the way we're talking about touch with ourselves, it can also be a reminder that that kind of touch with other people is a completely valid sexual experience. It doesn't have to contain these particular elements. It's interesting. I asked this question, um, similar question, when I'm talking about non-monogamy, actually mostly when I'm talking about monogamy. Um, and I do ask the question just to get people to sort of think about it is, you know, does, is masturbation cheating? Is sexting cheating? Is looking at somebody that you fancy with, you know, a particular eye, you know, objectifying them maybe, is that cheating, you know, um, to get people to kind of realize even monogamy isn't as clear cut as you, you know, you imagine that the edges, there are these like um, parts that are open to interpretation and, you know, coming to it from that place to design something is, is where I talk about, but my, the, the fact that there are definitely people who think masturbation, that work, I work with people who think masturbation is cheating. It's interesting the way you put it. I think, what I've heard more that it was, that not that it was cheating, but they were hurt that they were excluded from their partner's sexuality, not necessarily as, as an ownership thing, but they, they felt it was like they, they were left out. And I think that's another maybe um, reason why it's harder for people to sort of think about their partners masturbating sometimes. Yeah, I've had that with when I'm working with half of a couple heard sort of kind of jealousy. Like, you know, I've had someone who said like, oh, I know when my partner like goes and takes a shower and masturbates and they're sort of, they're jealous and they feel left out. Um, and I think that, I mean, that can come from a few places. I think sometimes it does come from that fear of scarcity. I more often hear that when people aren't also getting their needs met. Like I never hear that from people who are having tons of sex and are having as much sex as they would like. I hear that from people who want to be having more sex and then feel hurt or threatened in some way if their partner is masturbating when they're not having sex. And it is important to note that those those things can come from different places. Mm -hmm. Um, it, It fills different needs. Masturbation and partnered sex can fill different needs. And so again, it is not sort of there's this like finite pie of sexuality and you're deciding where it goes. Um, but people are often in the mood to masturbate when they're not in the mood for partnered sex and vice versa. You know, I also work with tons of people who really enjoy partnered sex and are kind of not that interested in masturbation. The stuff that they're getting from partnered sex is difficult for them to replicate. So they're not, they're not necessarily interchangeable in that way. 
And I think too, when people live together, that can be something tricky to negotiate, especially if people, you know, they live together, they share a bedroom, especially if it's a small space. Um, It can be tricky to negotiate time alone, especially right now, you know, folks aren't, you know, going to work, they're not going out to see their friends, and you never get alone time. It can be really important to negotiate those boundaries to explicitly say, like, you need to sit in the living room with headphones on and watch a movie because I'm going to go in the bedroom and masturbate for the next two hours. And that that's a trade, you know, that everybody gets that time. Like, okay, Tuesday night is my night, Thursday night is your night. And making sure that people still get that time. Mm-hmm. Yes, to all of that. I think it's interesting. So Jackie and I have this conversation every now and then it comes up about her, her experience with masturbation and my experience with masturbation. And she's, you know, f- she unfortunately comes from this place of trauma when it comes to masturbation and, 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 and but has lived and has healed to tell the story, which I think <laughs> is, is important. Um, and I come from the other side of it all where I, I just never got the memo about shame and sex. Like, you know, I maybe I moved and then it got mailed and it got lost in the mail. So just somewhere <laughs> along the line, I lucked out. I should say, like, I- internal shame. I understood that it's like I wasn't, I'm not, I'm not really supposed to talk to people about it and tell them because it was like out in the world, there was shame attached to it. But internally, I discovered my vagina around four and I was like, we're going to be BFFs forever. You know, like, I, that's my experience. And um, when I hear you say, the sort of being ritualistic about it, feeling good about it, how it doesn't mimic like regular sex, like or partner sex, I should say. Um, I completely agree with you. It's like time that I like to spend with myself that is where I work things out sometimes. It's where I like figure out, like connect with my own body and see what's going on. It could be that I'm, you know, um, actively um, going a specific place and I'm using like, I'm just through this kind of personal intimacy. So I do find it to be, like an important part of self-care and self-connection. Yeah, I I sort of figured out some of the ritual aspects when I was really young. I I also was lucky to not get shamed early on from these things. I remember my mother, um, when I was pretty young, the only guidance I got was like, this is something we probably want to do in privacy, like shooing me out of the living room. Like this is this is not the genital exploration room. Like you should probably be in your bedroom for this. So I'm very grateful for that, you know, and then it took me, of course, years longer to figure out orgasm because generally children are exploring their genitals from day one, but orgasm is something that comes a lot later. Um, And I remember when I was first had figured out orgasm, making it something that was almost ritualistic. I remember that every time I orgasmed, um, I would make a wish, you know, and this is at like 13, like I had my like early teen version of sex magic that I was making up for myself. And I didn't know anything about any of it. It just sort of felt like this sort of powerful thing. And like, oh, if I'm sending all this energy out into the world, I I should do something with that. Yeah. I love that. I, I'm going to start making wishes. <laughs> I, hadn't, I hadn't thought about that. Oh, I remember also um, figuring out orgasm earlier as well, like earlier than than my peers, because I told them about it and nobody knew about it. Um, and then I was like, oh, okay, this is a thing that my body can do. And, and the other piece of it for me is we're saying also a, not that you only get to know yourself, but something that I do is this is also maybe like the educator in me. Like if I've just started having sex with somebody new, like a new play partner, and then you get that, you know, the, the honeymoon period where you're like very aroused and, and thinking about them all the time and then kind of um, 
I've used time to masturbate to also figure out how I want to give them feedback about the sex, like how, like how to fine tune what's happening between us as like a, almost like a demonstrating on myself of like, oh, this, you know, they do it this way. Oh, this is how I prefer it. And then be able to work it out like with myself and then to be able to communicate that with a partner. So I think it's also a good place to like, not only get to know yourself, but work out how you want to talk about and address some of the, you know, fine tuning of your pleasure, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Workshopping it on your own uh, mm-hmm. before you're bringing somebody else into it. And I tell this to people, you know, when I'm teaching classes that are more anatomy based or technique based, you know, I generally suggest to people try this on yourself first. Like if you're looking for your G spot, if you're looking for your mm-hmm. prostate, yeah, yeah, yeah you know, f- figure it out with your own body first so you can give the other person guidance. <laughs> It's fascinating to listen to you both talk about it. This idea of orgasms as magic. <laughs> I mean, when growing up, it was like orgasm was like relief followed by immediate shame and undoing that. Like it feels so wonderful to hear about stories where that wasn't the case. And it makes me think now even about, you know, you were talking about some shyness with partners in, in talking about or, or masturbating in front of each other. And I realized that I use, we use a lot of code words I think that's more around, comp- so, you know, at some point I might say, like, I'm going to go play as opposed to I'm going to, or, um, you know, more recently with my partner, I'll talk about DJing because of the, <laughs> the move of the fingers on the, on the, on the record. And so I'll say, I was my own personal DJ right now. And so like, there are ways of talking about it that feel playful and transparent, but are not yet still for me as obvious as saying like, okay, I'm going to go hit one off or something like that. And so, so I wonder if that's, if that's natural, I wonder rather if that's uh, connected to kind of my story as it relates to masturbation in my journey, or do you see that often in the clients that you work with that even when they talk about it, there's some euphemism that's associated with it, some language. Oh, there's a lot of euphemism. I don't think anybody, I mean, in my office, almost nobody ever just like comes in and says, so when I masturbate, like this is not a word that anybody wants to say out loud. (laughs) It's not a very sexy word yet. (laughs) And I think it's been made ugly by, by experiences like you, like you were talking about. It is either actively shamed or it's the butt of jokes, right? We treat masturbation like it is, you know, the crummy consolation prize. If you can't, you know, get somebody to come home with you. And so I think we kind of do need new language around it. You know, there's, there's a choice between sort of reclaiming language or, or building something new. Um, and I think that masturbation does have so many connotations now that turn people off that talking about like self-love and self-care, I think that that can be a valuable reframing and transformation. And I think it's valuable because again, masturbation does you know, it implies genital touch to completion, to orgasm. Um, and I think what I'm, what I'm hoping to encourage people to do is more than just that. You could engage in self-love and care and never touch your genitals. Like what, you know, if you are taking a bath, you know, with candles lit and, you know, you're running body oil over every inch of your skin, like that is incredibly sensual and is an act of self-love. Um, but it doesn't have to incorporate your genitals, or if it does, it doesn't have to have orgasm as a goal. Because um, I think part of what I would love for people to do is 
explore the sort of pleasure potential of every part of their body. You know, we think of these very limited erogenous zones, um, but there isn't a single part of your body that can't be touched in a way that feels good. Um, so finding all of that, again, can be something that you spend more time on or, or ritualize or turn into a process. But we need more expansive language for that because it's not, like you said, just sort of like, oh, I'm just going to go like bang one off, you know, that, <laughs> which again is fine. Sometimes it is scratching an itch and that's fine. I mean, goodness knows I usually want to have an orgasm before I go to sleep at night and it's like three minutes with my Hitachi. Like it is not, you know, rainbows and sparkles every time I want to get off. Like <laughs> It's true. It's true. Sometimes just for a little hit of energy or something. Or, yeah. yeah. Sometimes it is like I brush my teeth. I have an orgasm. I go to sleep. Like, and that's also fine. Like, I'm not saying I have hours every day to dedicate to this practice. As um, I'm listening to you talk it about it, it, just made me realize that we say pretty much all this stuff about sex also, <laughs> you know, like having a quickie on your kitchen counter or having a, you know, an, an all night, all morning, you know, uh, experience, you know, immersive experience, you know, we just say, make sure that you're getting all of that, that it's working for you. Uh, I think it's a similar experience to masturbation. It's okay to like knock, knock one out. It's funny how we all say it differently. <laughs> I definitely have some, some, like the British words I use as well. Like wank. You, you guys don't, do you say wank? No. Yeah. I don't say it personally, but I do miss that word, <laughs> having a wank. Really? It feels phallic. It wank. is phallic. It is it's yes. probably phallic. Yeah, having a wank. But, but I think uh, it's also like reclaimed for you know for because it's like why does it have to be phallic so it's, it has been mm -hmm. reclaimed um but it's kind of a it, again also an i think is an ugly word for a beautiful experience you know mm. can we talk about that for a minute a little bit of the beautiful experience versus the ugly experience and i'm, I'm interested into whether or not you believe that, that masturbation at, at any point could be unhealthy so let me let me ask that question first because there's a specific scenario that i have been through that i'm also curious about but i'm wondering for you if, if it ever is unhealthy I think any behavior can at some point become unhealthy. Like there's anything, anything can become compulsive in some way. Um, you know, generally if people come to me and they are worried, you know, oh, I'm masturbating too much, you know, I ask, what does that mean? Like, is it getting in the way of your day? Are you not able to make it through a work day because you're taking multiple breaks to masturbate? Or are you masturbating to the point that you know, is your skin raw? Are you harmed in some way? And, you know, 99% of the time, they think it is too much or problematic because of cultural messages. Um, and it is it is pretty darn rare that that it is actually disrupting somebody's life. But anything, I mean, any, we can use any behavior in a way that that becomes an unhealthy coping mechanism. And, and masturbation is just one of those behaviors that can be on that list. I just think that we treat it differently than all of the other behaviors because we treat sex differently. Yeah. And it's interesting that you talk about it then that way in terms of coping. I think when I wondered to myself whether or not masturbation was healthy for me was when my nesting partner started a, another relationship and it felt at the time really threatening and uncomfortable for me. And anytime I would think about their relationship, I would immediately get, feel triggered and feel anxious. And what I started to notice, and this took me time, is I would also then get really highly aroused. And in my mind, I translated that as like, oh, the idea of, you know, my partner with someone else is sexy and does turn me on. And I wanted to, to lean into that. 
then at some point, I think I, I, it started to feel clearer to me that it was almost my body's way of protecting me of like, no, 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 don't be sad or scared. Look over here, look over here. Like, like, this is fun. Let's, let's concentrate on this. And I actually realized it was less about me being aroused potentially about their connection and more about my body trying to distract me or heal me from something that felt like it was anxiety. And there was a moment where I was like, well, good for you, body. Like, look at you trying to take care of me. And then I also wondered, oh, well, was that unhealthy? Is, is, should I really be able to sit in this discomfort without distracting myself almost as I would with food or watching something disconnecting in some way? Was this, was this an experience of disconnection rather than an experience of connection, which is what I thought that it was. So I don't know what your thoughts are on that. I mean, I'm still playing with that in my own head around what that has meant for me. I mean, it's important to be able to, you know, sit with your feelings and feel your feelings. And also there's a point at which that can be too acute. It can be too much to manage at once. And masturbation and orgasm is a great way to manage anxiety. I mean, it does in fact reduce stress and reduce anxiety. And I wonder if, you know, every time your partner was on a date and you felt a little anxious, like if you went on a jog to clear your mind, like, would you be asking if it was a problem that you went for a jog every time they had a date? Mm, mm, fair point. I, I don't know. Maybe. You're right. I think because it's related to sexuality is what is what made that feel different for me. I think you're right about that. And we, we do both, right? Like getting your heart rate up, they actually do very similar things. So um, in Emily Nagoski's book, Burnout, she talks about needing to complete the stress cycle. So when we are activated, when we're feeling stressed, when we're feeling anxious, you know, that system was sort of built when we dealt with threats that would then go away. You know, I think her example is like you get chased by a lion and then either you're eaten or you get back to the village and you're safe and you can like relax and celebrate. And in the modern day, we don't, we don't get to the other side of that, right? If your partner is dating somebody, that never goes away. It ebbs and flows if they're with the other person or if they're with you, or if you have work anxiety, like there is never the, we're on the other side of it and we get to celebrate. And so we can sort of trick our body into that same, okay, we've gotten to the other side of it by anything that increases our heart rate for a period of time, and then it decreases. So exercise does that really well. Something counts as sort of cardio if your heart rate is up for 20 minutes. So if you go for a jog, you know, if you're on a, a treadmill, or again, if you're masturbating or having sex vigorously enough that your heart rate is up for 20 minutes and then your heart rate goes down afterwards, your, your body is able to have that experience of, you know, heightened arousal, and then, you know, literally sort of the climax and the denouement after that, that lets your body see everything is okay now. Um, so it's actually taking your body through this really important process. That's incredible. I am a runner. So that is helpful. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> cleared up a lot for me as to why I feel the need to run often. Yeah, that's yeah. really helpful. It's also um, the same effect of like, you know, um, if you really want to relax a muscle, you can squeeze it really hard first and then you let it go and it relaxes even more. And then the contracts will get, the contrast gives you a relief. It's the same kind of idea. You kind of, you know, create tension and then release it. So everything just, everything else releases around it as well. So I think it's definitely a, a, a good tool. And anxiety and arousal are are just about the same thing in the brain. I mean, there's mm -hmm. a reason that anti-anxiety meds often kill people's desire. 
Um, because your brain being aroused is your brain being aroused. It doesn't differentiate between anxiety and sexual turn on. I mean, the, the word, you know, the, the thing at the Latin word for hormone basically, uh, translates to arousal. Like anything that activates systems in the body, it all sort of is lumped together. So, so anxiety and arousal are very close neighbors. And so I think that's also sort of another reason that that could be tied together when you're feeling anxious about this situation. And I think being able to pivot that into arousal, both something that you can manage in a positive way, but also so you can sort of go through that arc. You know, that's definitely something that I've experienced in in my non-monogamy. You know, a partner gets home from a date and I'm kind of jealous and they're telling me about it. And, you know, if possible, I like to sort of sexualize that together. You know, I've had sex with a partner while they tell me about the sex they had with the other person. And it's sort of using that jealousy, anxiety to heighten arousal and sort of choosing to use that the way that I want to choose to channel that energy in a way that is useful to me. Absolutely. I mean, it totally makes sense. It's essentially the difference between your nervous system experience, your nervous system's experience, which in arousal, like you said, is arousal, period. Like, and it's the story comes from your sort of your sort of frontal cortex is, is when you're like, I think either using it to release anxiety or using it to get sexually turned on. It's whatever story that you're applying to a, a particular state of your nervous system. It's just that we have stories and then stigmas attached to those stories if you sexualize it versus if you use it, you know, you know whether it registers as anxiety or whether you use it for other, to drive other things. So yeah, it's, it's interesting. So um, next time you masturbate, Jackie, just pretend you're jogging is, is what I'm getting out of the story. <laughs> In conclusion. <laughs> Running and masturbation are both. No, yeah. honestly though, I really do appreciate you sharing that. I think, you know, one of the things that Effie and I ha- believe are really important in our work is to give people a sense of permission and inspiration. And you only hear that by hearing alternative perspectives and stories. And I think I've had a particular narrative in my mind around this, certainly rooted in my experience of, of shame growing up. And I think hearing you describe it in that way, even physiologically to say, you know, we have to go through this arc gives me more permission and inspiration to lean into that as opposed to feeling like that was something that was wrong. And I think, you know, I've been in this work with Effie for, you know, two years now and, and certainly my own journey in sexuality and relationship. And I'm still finding myself healing from things and getting over things and relearning things. And so I love the fact, I think, that this is a continual journey of becoming more comfortable with myself. I mean, imagine how long did it take you to learn those negative stories? I mean, that yeah. sounds like that was... It's true. A decade, two yeah. decades, twenty-five years at least. Yeah, yeah. So why? I mean, why wouldn't it be a journey in reverse of another twenty-five years to, you know, come completely to the other side of that, come to completely a place of where it is, you know, magic and freedom, and you know, that's you're not going to unlearn twenty-five years of messages in in two years. I mean, it sounds like you've come an incredibly far away, but if you think about that, you know, how far you've come already, imagine where you could be in another two years, four years, 10 years. Yeah. Yeah. I like it. I'll have to report back. <laughs> two years from now, me. <laughs> I was going to say, I, I'm excited for this journey. <laughs> so tell me a little bit about, you know, some of particularly now we, again, we've referenced this, we're in social distancing time and people are either separated with or away from partners. And so I'm wondering if there are any 
particular tips or things that you have been sharing with folks? I think you've shared with us a number of them already today, but particularly during this time, either people who are on their own or people who are and are separated from partners or maybe are not partnered or folks are with partners, just ways in which they can continue to think about masturbation during this time of social, social distancing and isolation. I mean, I think the number one thing is, is remembering how much comfort you can provide to yourself. If you are social distancing such that you're living either entirely alone or you're living, you know, not with people you exchange touch with, remembering how much of that need you can in fact meet for yourself um, and, and doing your best to, to get, you know, as many of those needs met on your own as you can. Um, I think, again, it's, it's not under circumstances I would have chosen, um, but I think in some ways it can be valuable that people can actually hopefully come out of this realizing how much of these needs they can meet for themselves. And when we're back to, you know, dating and hookups and all of that, you know, maybe there are times where you would, you know, go home with somebody kind of like, eh, I guess so, you know, just because you want to, again, scratch that itch or get that need met. And now maybe folks will realize like, actually, I can do a pretty darn good job by myself and sort of can be more choosy about how needs are met. Um, so I think it's important to realize how much of that you can do for yourself and finding ways to, again, if you are missing somebody who is elsewhere, deciding whether or not that is something that you want to share. You know, like we talked a little bit about last time, do you want there to be, you know, sexting or phone sex or video sex or even just reporting back? You know, if all of those things either feel technically challenging or just like too much multitasking you know, the next day you can tell someone like, hey, I, you know, did this and that while I was thinking about you or, or you know, giving or exchanging assignments, um, but finding ways to, to share those moments with somebody if, if that feels like something that would be helpful and would build intimacy. Absolutely. Great, great tips. Great, great tips as, as usual. And in the way that we don't think about one of the things I like, like Jackie say, we we do this this podcast and the work that we do is think about things like this, things like masturbation, how we can take care of ourselves, how do we make it happen in a sort of calm, um, no judgment space, and really think of like practical tips of like how we're going to make this happen. And then, and I love that when when we leave people with some tips they can take take away and and enjoy. So Stella, before we wrap up, I want to ask you a broad question of. What, what are you curious about these days? I mean, I think I am sort of moving into figuring out more of some of the, the spiritual spaces, um, you know, some of the, the spiritual uses of, of pleasure, um, whether it includes orgasm or not. I, I often end up writing classes about things that I want to learn. I've sort of learned that like the, the next step for anything I want to learn is like, okay, well, I'm going to have to teach about it. You know, I've gotten as much as I can get from, you know, from books and from just receiving information. And now I need to play with that information with other people. And I, I wrote um, an article about masturbation as ritual a couple of years ago um, that's on my website and have been sort of, yeah, playing with that idea and thinking about it for a while, but moving more into sort of workshopping that with other folks is something I'm very interested in. I have an, a whole stack of books on my nightstand right now, actually, about sex magic. So that's a big curiosity of mine right now. Yeah. And I think that's going to be your um, next event with us. Um, you're going to be joining us in our virtual curiosity salon 
on Wednesday, May 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern. And you're going to facilitate a workshop on masturbation as self-love and care. And I will be sneaking a few of my my little woo interests in there, but a lot of it will be practical as well. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So first of all, you should come to the event on May 20th, 7 p.m. Eastern time. Um, Stella's going to be helping us figure out how to make, make time for ourselves, discover the ways that we like to be touched, and explore all the ways that our body can experience pleasure. So you can find tickets in our uh, bio in Instagram or on our Facebook page. And then you can find Stella in many different places, right? So at uh, StellaHarris.net, you can follow her at Stella Erotica on Twitter or on Stella Harris Erotica on Instagram. And she's offering coaching and classes online so that you can pr- use the promo-, promo code Stay Home for 20% off coaching. Yes, and you can follow us um, at We Are Curious Foxes on Facebook and Instagram. And we please, please, please ask you to check out our Patreon page where we provide um, all sorts of, I would say everything. That's why. (laughs) (laughs) So you get free tickets, you get guest tickets, you get ask, ask me anything sessions with Effie where once a month she goes on and asks and answers questions based on what people want to know. Um, we have events that are specifically for our patrons. So once a month we have a social event where patrons come on and, and we hang out and touch base and do kind of fireside chats to see how everybody's doing and, and enjoy each other. Um, they, you get free tickets to our soirees, which are our quarterly parties that we throw right now we're doing them virtually and they're super fun and we've had djs and we had a a sleepover last time with or pajama party so if you support us there are many many ways in which we're going to thank you for your support of our community so you're going to find us in all those places. You're going to find us on Patreon. You're going to rely, like, review, and share this podcast because it really does make a difference, particularly if Apple or Spotify um, change the noise, give people uh, some permission and inspiration to, to see the world differently via this podcast. And if you have a question and you want to share it with us, if something that you want us to explore on the episode, then you can do it a few different ways, certainly via all those platforms, Facebook, Instagram, Patreon, but you can also email us at listening at wearecuriousfoxes.com, listening at wearecuriousfoxes.com. You can give us a call. We have a hotline. It's 201-870-0063. And via that number, you can leave your question or a message and we'll play it on the episode and we'll answer it for you and for everybody else. Yeah. And uh, before we, before we let you go, we want to tell you a little bit more about our favorite sex toy brand that we mentioned in the middle of the episode. If you're interested in adding a toy to your masturbation ritual, we thoroughly encourage you to check out our friends at Dame. Dame Products is a woman-founded company making toys for sex that close the pleasure gap. Developed and tested by real people with vulvas, the toys are engineered to bring your solo and coupled play to new heights. Our friends at Dame are making the world a happier place, one vagina at a time. And they are extending 15% off to our listeners. If you go to dameproducts.com forward slash Curious Fox, that's D-A-M-E products.com forward slash Curious Fox, you'll get 15% off your next favorite toy. Once again, that's D-A-M-E-P-R-O-D-U-C ts.com forward slash curious fox yeah you want you want it it has a little igloo and it glows at night <laughs> it is i'm not gonna lie they're good they're our friends i'm not saying it because they're our friends i'm saying it because right, they're really, really good products <laughs> <laughs> all right yeah. uh, until next time friends 
Stay curious. Stay curious. Curious Fox podcast is not and will never be the final word on any topic. We solely aim to encourage curiosity and provide a space for exploration through connection and story. We encourage you to listen with an open and curious mind and we'll look forward to your feedback. Stay curious, friends. Stay curious. 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 Stay curious.